This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Green flag is out already at the front four. Trying to sort themselves out single file. Your pole center, Scott McLaughlin, with the lead into turn number one. Fans on their feet. Hold on to your hat. Scott McLaughlin will get there first. Will Power will work to the inside, but the battle's for a second as Christian Lundgaard will take over that position. He'll steal it from Will Power. Then it's Potomac Ward running in that fourth position. Alex Palau will run into the fifth position, but Scott McLaughlin, three-car length advantage. Somehow they made it through the first sequence clean. So far clean through this middle part of the lap as well. McLaughlin with the three-car length lead over Lundgaard. Power slots in in third. Then it's Award Palau. Rosenquist going side-by-side with David Malukas. Meanwhile, cars off track, kicking up all kinds of dust. Roman Grosjean cuts the course. He'll rejoin right in the middle of the pack, Nick. Yep, Grosjean slides it left and right through the dirt. He may fall all the way to the tail of the field. It was uh, Felix Rosenquist who did make a pass on David Malukas. Malukas coming right back. He'll charge to the inside, Mark. He'll grab that sixth spot through turn 10. Grosjean efforting to work himself toward the top 10, and he is going to tumble plenty into the field. Lap number one complete, except for Grosjean's off. Pretty clear as they head back to turn number one with leader with a comfortable advantage. Uh, shaping up Davey more or less like it might be a two-car race, although we have trouble in one, Michael Young. Jimmy Johnson locked him up, and then he tagged the wall at the entrance to turn number one. He was trying to get that car woed down, and when he tapped the wall, we will see indeed he got hit by Renus VK. He tries to get that car and limp it forward, but it looks like that rear wing is askew. Caution on the course with 27 laps complete here at the Grand Prix of Portland. Poised to start on pole and leave 104 laps on the day off of turn number 12 for the final time. Twin checkers in the air and Scott McLaughlin's going to go to victory lane. He'll win the Grand Prix of Portland. Will Power, he grabs the second spot. Scott Dixon completes the podium. Pottle Award at Graham Rahal, the top five in a spirited Grand Prix of Portland. One to go, five still alive, three very much in play, but it's the 41-year-old Will Power, who is remembered by some for coming up just short multiple times along with his title and 500 win. He's in control, and there are now two very desired seats that might become available, but might not. Hello, welcome. It's Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Mullenix is in our studios on Monument Circle in downtown Indianapolis. You can join us at any time at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan on Twitter. Highlights courtesy of IndyCar Radio of the Grand Prix of Portland, won by Scott McLaughlin to keep his hopes in the championship alive. Long shot, but still mathematically in it at this point with one to go. WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca coming up this Sunday. Uh, radio coverage is where? Maybe here. I don't know when the Colts play this weekend. It's opening weekend, so it's either here, 93 WIBC, or check your local radio listings. On television, it'll be on NBC. That's locally on Channel 13 starting at um, it's noon Pacific time, so 3 o'clock local time. And I think about a 3.30 green flag. I've not seen a minute by minute at this point, but that is the plan. Hello, Kirk. Welcome. How are you? Well, good. It's um, it's hard to believe it's one to go. It feels like, uh, well, it doesn't feel like the season just started, but it does kind of feel like we just left Indianapolis not that long ago uh, from the 500. So the summer went quick, and we've got another compelling championship. What is it, 17 years in a row that, 
that the title has come down to the last race and as it would as it would stand five drivers within within arm's reach or at least uh, a pole's reach and uh, so a couple of those guys probably don't have a realistic chance but three of them really do and it doesn't take too much to uh, to f- to figure out how those guys can get to the championship but you know, this is the tightest it's been since 2003. We had another year with double points that was a little bit different, but uh, I think that was in 2017. But really, since 2003, uh, we've not had something like this, and it should be fun. I think uh, Will Power in the driver's seat, but, you know, it wouldn't take much for him to slip up. And, and I think, you know, I've, I've really tried not to talk about this, uh, you know, since Sunday's race. But you're right. Uh, what you said earlier is that power is as much known for those that have been following this sport for a long time. Power is more known for losing these championships in the last race of the season than he is for winning them. So he lost the three 2010, 11 and 12 in the last race of the season and then came back and got his uh, one season title in 20, uh, 2014. But, um, uh, It'll be interesting to see how he handles it and how much pucker is in his uh, in his seat this weekend. He hasn't seemed to have a whole lot of pucker. I spent a decent amount of time with him this weekend, and he seems pretty relaxed internally. It might be a little bit different, but what Will tends to show is emotions. <laughs> so I think he's in a pretty good place. I, I feel like Joseph's the one who has – really been clinching for a, a long time and you know my, my theory on joseph the last couple of years is is we've talked about with with you're with team penske it's all about winning the indy 500 yeah, championships are, are very important too but the indy 500 is well that plays for everyone but when you're a team penske you expect you're going to win the Indy 500. And when that's not happening in the last couple of years, they haven't been very close to it. Then the only way to kind of salvage uh, a good season is to win the championship. Second and third doesn't get there. And that's, you know, I, I think we see that super hyper competitive nature really coming uh, to the forefront. And maybe he's just more relaxed now that he's been around for a little while and doesn't feel like he has to fake anything. But when it doesn't go well, uh, it, it shows for Joseph. And I, I just think that it's kind of a championship or bust type of situation to make up for the 500 not happening. You know, when we talk about where things stand, uh, yes, power has a nice cushion and wraps it up if he finishes on the podium. You know, that's the easy way to look at it. First, second, or third, and that's it. Uh, then after that, you know, I think it's if he finishes ninth, the other guys still would have to finish seconds or something in those range. So if, if New Gardner Dixon don't win the race, power can still finish as low as ninth. If uh, they finish third, power can get it done by finishing 14th. Now, all this is possible. You know, and it's it's all it takes is blown engine getting knocked off the track and there's not a lot of attrition and at Laguna Seca, if you fall to the back of the pack and you're 26th, it's going to be difficult to come up and finish inside the top 15. So that's very real. And then I think you could argue both ways for Marcus Erickson and Scott McLaughlin. Yeah. Chances are slim 
but they're not slim to none because it's not like they need, and here's my scenario on this, Kurt. Um, it's not like they need three people to crash out. And I'm not really going to get into all the numbers of what needs to happen because that starts to kind of roll over our, uh, make our eyes roll a little bit. But in in my mind, either one of those guys, if they win the race and power crashes out, finishes at the back, I think for one of them it's 19th, the other it's 22nd, which could happen. And then for Newgarden and Dixon, you know, it basically means uh, they need to have a mediocre race. Now, I understand it's unlikely that both of them have a mediocre race, but but that's why I give that more than, you know, a one in a thousand chance. Is it going to happen? No, I don't think so. But, boy, we've seen a lot of strange things happen over the years. And if they're in position to win it, you know, if they qualify well and they're running up front, the others are going to be nervous. Well, you, you, you use the word mediocre, and I think I figured it out. And again, I don't want to get into a, a pure numbers game, but it, it would only take, assuming power finishes around 20th, which in a 25-car field, you know, that's having contact with someone else. That's having an yep. engine problem. That's having, you know, that's not that difficult to do these days. It's not like there are only 22 cars like there were some years ago. But if, if power were to have have major issues, then mediocre means not inside the top five. So, you know, Joseph has had some races. He's been either feast or famine. Uh, and then, you know, I really think McLaughlin, he's going to be my pick this week because I think he's just – he's had the speed. I mean, he I, the pick to win the race. He's going to go mm -hmm. out. I think he's going to qualify well. He has qualified well this year, especially – uh, in the second half of the season, he's got nothing to lose. He looks so smooth over the weekend. I, I really, uh, I think it was Townsend, but it, it may have been James that, that talked about just look how calm his hands were every time we went to the in-car camera. It's just so smooth, and he's going to be a real factor next year. Uh, but but it doesn't it doesn't take, you know, as you said, it's not a one-in-a-thousand kind of deals these days the way McLaughlin has been running now do I think Marcus Erickson can go out and, and win the race and I don't think so he hasn't shown much since since really about June he hasn't shown a lot but sure sure as heck Scott McLaughlin has and you know you're right if if McLaughlin at the second half of the race or after the first pit stop is is in command of this race it's not a place where there's you know, a lot of, uh, you know, it's not a great side-by-side -side passing kind of track. If as long as the, the, the field doesn't get flipped by a, by a caution, which obviously could happen, but if McLaughlin is running well, I'd be really nervous if I was everybody else. And, and a guy like Power is going to be listening to every nut and bolt on his car. And uh, it's <laughs> McLaughlin is, is surely in this. And I think it'll be fascinating to watch from that perspective. Okay, I need you to vamp because I need to send out a tweet letting people know that the app doesn't work and apparently the internet doesn't work. So I'm just, before we start getting barraged, uh, I'm going to let them know they need to go to old-fashioned radio or just wait for the podcast to be posted at 9 o'clock tonight. Have Do you have any of the scenarios in front of you of what needs to happen? Well, I do. And, and I, you know, there's, there's a lot of scenarios. As I thought Nathan Brown 
use the right word uh, today when he posted all these various scenarios is that power, if he finishes in the top three, it's his championship. Everything else gets muddy. I think that was his word or murky. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it gets messy, I guess was his word as I look at it. But, uh, you know, ultimately you're looking for which of these drivers, let's say power doesn't finish in the top three, very possible. So then it's a matter of which driver is, is leading the other four, because it really is a kind of a winner take all at this point. If, you know, if, if Newgarden yeah. finishes ahead of Dixon, and power isn't in the top three, then, you know, we got something to really watch, but you really have to have, you don't have to have a, a race win if you're the other four guys not named Will Power, but it is going to be difficult if you don't win the race. But shoot, what, like I said, uh, McLaughlin's been great the last, you know, really uh, since Indy. He's been really good. He's won twice at, at Mid-Ohio and he's won at Portland. So, you know, that's, that shows uh, his speed. And when he wins, he has one from the pole. So, you know, these are, these are all kind of things to keep in mind. And, and the other thing is uh, the winners this year have largely come from the front row. I think nine or 10 of the 16 wins have come from the front row, which is surprising given the balance of the sport. But it, I think we've had largely routine races, meaning we haven't had a, a late caution that flipped the field, uh, we haven't had a lot of strange kind of races. I know, you know, these things are very competitive, but largely the guys on the front row have won the race through either just strictly pace or, or uh, circumstances. But you're going to need to qualify up front, and this is a track where, where qualifying is always at a premium anyway. And then you've got the, the, the great thing I always think about the last race of the season is you got all these other guys 17 other guys or more than that 21 other guys are are looking uh either for their first win of the season or to end this thing on a strong note i mean you go down through the field and we'll, we can get back to this in a little bit but there's all kinds of guys who haven't had the kind of year they would like and would like to end it on a good note and yeah. and that doesn't bode Today's well for for guys trying to win championships yeah even if you finish 14th in points if you win a race it's been generally a successful season. You need something that you can promote. You need podium pictures. Even not winning can still get something done. If you haven't sniffed the podium all year and you can get it, that goes a long way towards satisfying sponsors and helping to recruit new sponsors. And we should note also there is one lady that will be in that mix this weekend. Simona Di Silvestro is back with Pareto Autosport coming up this weekend as well. So let's, let's touch on Scott McLaughlin. So I remember last year, there was a lot of annoyance by some IndyCar fans about how much hype he was getting. Uh, and, oh, this guy can't, you know, he's not going to get it done. Uh, and, and we saw the results, and they were not fantastic last year. And I was some, somewhere in the middle, but more on the, boy, I think he's eventually going to be really good. Did I think he'd win three times in three polls this year and be in the championship in the final race? I'd have to go back and see what I said, but my recollection would be no, that I didn't think that it would be this good this soon but i did think he would get there in year three but he's there in year two and if this season as you said had started over after and remember they didn't do well in may uh in the indy 500 and gave up double points this season was starting over after may it would be neck and neck with scott mclaughlin in the mix for the championship 
Yeah, it really would. And, and, you know, I don't have to go back to the tape. I can pretty well tell you where I thought Scott was going to fall into form at the end of the year in this year too. And and it was more like, I, I think you were targeting like sixth or seventh in the championship. And I was saying, I don't think so. I don't think he can beat power, new garden, Dixon, Polo, Rossi, uh, Herta, uh, Pato award. I mean, there were six already and I hadn't even factored in a surprise or two. But the, the idea that he's in the top five going to the last race is is just unbelievable. And the fact that he's won a couple of these races from the pole, I you know, I'm not as surprised by by maybe Portland because I thought, you know, by the end of the second year, it's kind of like being into year three. Uh, it's just like David Maluka said, he goes, I don't really feel like a rookie now because I've been through a whole season. But uh, the fact that he went out, I think the most shocking thing of the season other than maybe scott dixon making a mistake to lose the indy 500 the biggest surprise of the season from my perspective is that scott mclaughlin went out and dominated the first race of the season winning from the pole really just tearing them apart and he almost won two in a row to start the year that would have been i mean you think about that he would added another 10 points to his total had Joseph not passed him in the last corner of, of the last lap at Texas. So then he'd have been even closer than he is now. I mean, this is the story of the year, honestly, is is just how, if it's not, you know, Will Powers kind of return to calmness or the calmness for the first time in his life, but uh, is Scott McLaughlin. It's just a stunning turnaround, and, and I'll be the first to eat crow on this one because uh, I thought he was probably 8th, ninth, 10th in this year's standings and here he is uh, at least going to finish in the top five and may finish just a little bit better than that so i do remember thinking last winter i i was still bullish on mclaughlin but i do remember thinking if year two doesn't go well he may be moving on to the porsche sports car program and i think someone wrote, wrote this recently Someone that I trust that would know what they're talking about said that they think that was was a consideration. And and that might even have been part of the plan is we'll give this guy a go in IndyCar. And if it doesn't work out, you know, we're pretty sure he's going to be good at sports car racing. And, and the IndyCar development will help him for that project. That might have been part of the thinking. Well, it's not going to be anymore. He, he's an IndyCar driver and he's going to be an IndyCar driver for quite a few years. Well, he said it the other day, and and I, I kind of took it as uh, not a joke because I know he didn't mean it as a joke, and he certainly believes it. But he said, you know, I'm here to win an Indy 500 or an IndyCar Series championship. And I thought, good for him to say that. I mean, you know, I, I know that's what they're all after, but, you know, he laid it on the table. I'm here to win one of those two, if not both of those things. And there is just no way if you go back to – the day before we, we put cars on track at St. Petersburg, there is nobody that thought he was winning a championship or an Indy 500 in 2022, 23, and maybe not until 24. I mean, you're talking about having to beat some really, really good guys in both of those endeavors to to, to be victorious. And I, I thought he would get really good. I, I would not have thought, well, just for example, I don't think in at the 500, barring – you know, I know th luck kind of comes into it sometimes, but there wasn't any way he was going to beat Will Power or Joseph Newgarden in their prime 
for the championship. And, you know, he, he may not this year, but uh, he very well could upstage both of them this weekend at, at uh, Laguna Seca. And, and it, it's amazing how much the mental mindset can impact things. So going back to what makes Scott McLaughlin tick and why he's a three-time Supercars champion is because of the confidence that he has in himself. And he, he's not just a three-time champion. He had, from what I understand, the three most dominant seasons that you could have and anyone has ever had in, in that sport and was rewriting the record books in a very short time. So while no one else seemed to think that he'd come in here and immediately do well, he did and was very frustrated and very disappointed. Uh, and I think pretty miserable at times was good about, you know, spinning it around and still being pleasant and positive and easy to deal with. Uh, but he, he wasn't used to that. And it took, Sendrick and Penske to kind of settle him down and say, no, no, you are where you should be at this point. We knew this was going to be a process. And with that is what helped get him in the right frame of mind. And I mentioned this on, on the, the TV broadcast, but it's, you know, you're trying to do it in 12 seconds, but, but he said in supercars, it was all just about qualifying. If you qualified up front, you were going to win the race. So all the focus was into that. And, that's what he was able to do. And he would try to do that in Indy cars and he would make a mistake and start 19th instead of taking what was available and maybe starting eighth uh, or maybe sixth, but he was trying to win the pole right out of the get go. And that was a little bit too much, or at least make sure he was getting into the fast six. And sometimes you take what's available even in qualifying. So that's kind of led to this year and then lo and behold right out of the gate he wins the pole wins the race and here we are at this point and it's just been amazing to watch for this season so the the championship is 20 for power then Newgarden and Dixon 20 back and then Erickson and McLaughlin almost a full race back but still within range uh Palo and Pato Award were both eliminated from contention this particular weekend uh, oh, you know, we probably should just get to this to start with. Uh, one of the questions we had on Twitter was from Adam Sturgeon, A Sturge 21. No doubt you'll touch on it anyway, but would be interested in your thoughts if Penske should have used team orders to almost lock out Dixon. So apparently Will said, did you hear the press conference? I did. But, but I, did. I think Will said I was, did he say I was hoping for or asking for McLaughlin to pull over at the end of the race. Is that, am I hearing or reading that correctly? He said, and, and by the way, I, I, I do take this a little, a little bit grain of salt. I believe Will is telling the truth, but you know, drivers sometimes will say things, but he said, I was asking, but he didn't say if he was asking specifically, you know, he may have been asking in his head. I, I can't, I didn't get to ask the follow-up question. Did you specifically ask, but he said, I asked if, if uh, you know, he was going to trade positions, basically. And, you know, and then McLaughlin, it must have been true because McLaughlin then came back later and said, I didn't hear him say that. I didn't know it to be true. But, but he said, I'm a team player. And if that's what they wanted me to do, everyone would have known that I won, that I had the best car. I, I'm glad 
I'm glad it didn't come to that. Uh, I think that would have been poor form, but uh, I would have understood why they did it. Uh, but, you know, Scott Dixon said with 10 laps ago, he said, I was afraid that's what they were going to do. And again, kudos to them for just letting the guys race. And, and uh, you know, Will's, Will's 20 point lead is still relatively, uh, you know, firm. Uh, if he goes and does what he tends to do in these races this season, he'll be top three, four, five. And then, you know, it would take Dixon or Newgarden to uh, to dominate the weekend and, and win the race, but uh, or at least win the race. And so, you know, good for them not to do that. So here's a reason why they may not have done it, because it impacts another team Penske driver. I think it's an easier decision to do that if you're just locking out another team if you're just locking out scott dixon um but this is why if it was discussed it was likely a challenging internal discussion because you're taking essentially any chance any realistic chance for joseph newgarden to win the championship also keep in mind the person who is going to okay that decision I don't think is roger penske i i truly believe roger penske is not involved at all in any kind of in-race decision. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that, and I hope you're yeah. getting to the point that not only would have it impacted Joseph Newgarden, it also would have impacted Scott McLaughlin having a chance to win the championship as well. True, but I think that would be probably less of a concern uh, considering where he's at. But, you know, think about it this way. I, I know this. Every team that has multiple cars, yes, they want the team, someone from the team to win, but the guys and women on those cars, they want their car to win, right? They want their car yeah. to beat the other team car. There is a real rivalry within teams at every level in every series about we want to be the one that wins. And Tim Sendrick makes that decision, and he's on the two car. Now, Tim Sendrick is still going to make the right decision for the program, but the fact that it would be eliminating one of your drivers, I would think adds into that discussion and makes it a little bit more difficult to do. Ultimately, I'm glad, like you said, it worked out that way. And they may not have put team orders in that fashion, but most people in the paddock expected that if it was needed to happen. I would say this, uh, you know, keep in mind that they have a lot of partners too. You know, you had Freightliner involved, you know, you, on McLaughlin's car, and you've got those that have sponsored uh, Newgarden. And so to take one of those two cars and their sponsors and put them in, in peril of not winning the championship when they have a legitimate chance for the last race, I think that also is a factor. But I'll say this, if it comes down to the last uh, couple laps of of the race and and power needs to finish one spot higher uh, to win the championship or or Newgarden or McLaughlin for that matter, um, you know I it's not going to happen for McLaughlin. But if if Newgarden needs to finish third and it means passing uh, power for second, or, you, you know what I mean. If that I've not come up with a great example, but if they need a position on Sunday and it obviously doesn't uh, – it, it's to win the championship for the team. I think they'll do it then, but not maybe not the next to the last race of the season. 
All right, we'll get into more of the championship, where things stand, what happened uh, in Portland this weekend. Looking ahead to next weekend at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, uh, where drivers are going to end up and or where we think they might end up or could end up. Much more still to come at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cabin. It's Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Now a three-time IndyCar winner, one of five still alive in the championship, going to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Coming up Sunday afternoon, 3.30 Eastern time, 3 o'clock airtime on NBC. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Mullenix in our studios in Indianapolis. Let's talk more, Kurt, about the race this past Sunday. Uh, level of surprise, we did not see a caution until lap 84, and that took someone turning left when they were supposed to turn right when Rena's VK uh, thought that Jimmy Johnson was not there. Um, but but yeah. we didn't have any cautions until then. Well, first, let's, you start with the, what happened at the start, and that was great decision by uh, race control to allow acceleration coming off the final corner of the circuit, which allowed for some spreading out. There was talk of letting them bunch up uh you know, even more down the front straightaway and go slower. Uh, well, go slower, which would uh, allow for a, or create a later starting point for the for the leader. And then you had you would have had more bunched up cars. And we've seen so much trouble in turn one. I thought that was a great decision. And then it just there was some good driving. I mean, normally at that racetrack, we see a lot of offs like in turns 10, 11, 12. And, and then down on the other end at turn one. Uh, we saw very little dust kick up in this race. So great driving. I mean, honestly, because, you know, usually you just have cars off track at this place. It's flat. It's fast. Those corners come at you quickly. And uh, it, as a guy who hasn't driven a race car, uh, that is not one of the places that I would have looked forward to driving because it's just it looks scary fast, even though. I mean, I, I know all these courses are like that, but it just looks fast. And especially those like turn seven, it's just, it's amazing. We saw it in the Indy Lights race, guys get together and uh, then you got, you know, not a lot of room to go. And so then you're in the tire barriers. So just good driving and coupled with the good decision by race control to, to start the race the way they did. Uh, McLaughlin dominated, never really challenged, led 104 of 110. Power had to do a little bit of work. Christian Lungard got by him at the start of the race, and Lungard, Lungard was on for a pretty good day. They had a slightly slow pit stop, and then I think he stalled it, and then he uh, made a mistake and went through a, a signboard uh, fairly late in the race, but he was in position to finish something like, I forget, seventh, eighth, even with a couple of slower pit stops and finishes in the back. Uh, so, so power is second. Pato Award had challenged late. He was in that had to win to stay alive situation. Uh, almost past power. They banged late in the race, continued. Pato was a little bit damaged, then was asked to give up a position for blocking Scott Dixon. And we've seen how Pato feels about that. Okay, let's just make sure it's called that way if I'm impacted. So that's telling you he feels like he's been blocked before and no call. But here's Scott Dixon again, and this time there's no major highlight. He's not driving through the dirt or anything like that. But, Kurt, the fact that in a race with no weird strategy, 
Now, this is one of those. We all said that you, you could start 16th or 18th and still have a decent chance because something odd will happen and nothing odd did happen. So he didn't get a break on the timing of a yellow or anything else. He drove his way. They used some smart strategy, finding him clean track and so forth. But they moved from 16th to 3rd. Yeah, the only place where it, it really benefited him from uh, from the way the race played out was the caution allowed him to bunch up. And then when, as you say, that Pato Award and Will Power started duking it out in what is turn two and we saw the same thing from alexander rossi and who was the guy he was with uh they started banging new garden new garden and rossi started you know leaning on each other a little bit dixon's just right there and he's like okay if you guys want to give me the the inside lane i'll just take you two and then award kind of gets damaged and so he just said well i'll take you as well and so to pick up three spots in one corner effectively uh just that's what scott dixon does you know that's just a, one of those moments and we shouldn't be surprised i mean he just continues to pull rabbits out of a hat and and you know where he should probably be eighth or ninth if you watch qualifying he just picks people off and the the, the really incredible stat this is in his 21 years this is the 11th time he's been in the championship fight at the last race of the season you know he's won some he's lost some uh but he continues to be there and that is what is so special about scott over all these years and they did test at laguna seca whereas penske as we've documented tested at portland and that certainly paid off quite nicely they qualified one two three new garden didn't start second because he had a six position grid penalty for, for an early engine change it had mileaged out after he needed to change one early because of an issue uh, back at toronto uh, but maybe it plays out the same way for ganassi at laguna seca uh and and here's the other thing kurt you know he said power needs to finish third well ganassi can guarantee he doesn't finish third they could lock out the top three and that would not be a super stretch for Pelot, Dixon, Erickson, in whatever order, to finish potentially one, two, three, and take it out of Team Penske's hands. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that possibility. And you also have to figure that one of those three that's probably a good bet for the podium would be the guy who's dominated the last two races at Laguna Seca, even though uh, Andretti Autosport hasn't, you know, hasn't had the kind of year that they would like. Colton Herta. And the Herta family certainly mm-hmm. has Laguna Seca figured out. And if he's not, you know, when you look at odds going into this weekend, if he's not in your first three or four, then you haven't been paying attention. He's just been so good at Laguna Seca. It, no flukes whatsoever. And it wasn't like his team was just far superior either. So, you know, Colton's going to probably get one of those would be a good bet for one of the top three finishing positions. So to put Pelot and Dixon say the other spots on the podium is not out of the question at all. Now, the concern I would have for the Ganassis is this is one of the things I talked about that, that I speculated that uh, that track is more likely to come back being very different. And the only one that I specifically covered and spent a lot of time with this past weekend of the Ganassis was Marcus Erickson. And he said, yeah, the track was just really dirty, not very consistent. He said, I went off, I crashed pretty hard. Um, 
but but a lot of people were struggling to stay on the track and it was just very very sandy and he he didn't have a whole lot of confidence that it was going to be the same when they they came back it changes a lot and obviously it rubbers in more and it gets a little bit better it's just really hard to keep the sand off of it with nine cars going out there and not running a whole lot uh, at the time so i think it will be very different but who knows they may have really figured out something that is going to apply to them. Uh, others from the weekend, big day for Graham Rahal. He, like he always does, quali- actually he qualified okay in this one. One of his better qualifying efforts, finishes fifth. He'll be a dad again by the next time we see him. They are scheduling, maybe already done. I've not been on social media in the last little while, but I don't know if he told me the day, whether it was Tuesday or Wednesday, but boy, I think it's either today or tomorrow that that Courtney was going to have the baby and then he'll be able to go to Laguna Seca this weekend Herta and Rossi were both pretty good really strong day I think all things considered for Calamilot that one car team continues to punch above its weight they get a a second top 10 Uh, who else needs to be mentioned Kyle Kirkwood does brought it home that's a good result for the Foyt team qualifying 13th and finishing 13th it's one of the better days for Jack Harvey on the season um, Simon Pagano, we never really could get it in the broadcast, but they had one, they weren't particularly good to begin with. And credit uh, Simon for being honest when he just said, Car's fine, the driver's not been very good this weekend. I'm struggling to figure things out, and I'm going to try to get better today in the race. And they went way off strategy, pitting early, and I think they were going to make it. They came in on like lap eight, and you kind of needed to get to 13, and they must have been doing massive fuel saving because I believe his second stop, the math said he was still going to be able to get it done on one more stop after that. But then they had a gear issue, and they had to go behind the wall and fix that and came out like nine laps down. Uh, Connor Daly, bad luck continues. I, I had a tweet I should saying I should have asked Connor about his mullet. Kurt, I felt bad about asking a guy about a mullet after he had just been on fire. So I, I decided not to do that one at that time. But you know, Connor would have played ball and he would have answered the question. Yeah, he would have. You know, the, you talked about Harvey and Graham Rahal. Uh, just a good weekend for 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 Rahal Letterman Lanigan. They've, you know, they've uh, they've had their struggles this year. And and poor Christian Lundgaard makes a mistake. He's been a kind of a top five car all day and 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 got dropped a little bit. But but that. Um, you know, then he then he really did have the big problem hitting the sign and couldn't get it off. And you're trying to turn and just won't turn and had to slow way down. And so now the rookie of the year chase goes to the last race, five mm-hmm. points separating Lungard from Malukas with Lungard leading. So that's going to be interesting. But he should have probably uh, finished much higher, which speaks to how good Bobby Rahal's team was this particular weekend. So so good for them. All right, coming up, we've still got the news of the day to get to. We'll spotlight some of the things in the road to Indy. Um, you know, almost wish there was television coverage for the USF 2000 triple header because it was wild. There needs to be some some stories, and there have been some stories written on that, but it was very significant for multiple drivers that really needed the funding to be able to continue on. Um, so we'll get into that. We'll get into silly season, what's going on with Colton Herta and Formula One, and plenty more all coming up on the way. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. 
It's time for the Circle City and Speedrome news of the day. It's here this weekend at the Indianapolis Speedrome, the World Figure 8 Championship. And the three-hour endurance race, Saturday night, practice and racing Thursday and Friday night. Well, the three-hour headline World Figure 8 Championship and three-hour endurance race also is Saturday night. Ticket info is at speedrome.com. It's challenging to read something off your iPad when every 10 seconds the uh, alert comes up that password is incorrect as our email is down. I'm also, if you're hearing the podcast later, um, so we're not streaming tonight and the app doesn't work. And it may be because the uh, radio company is in transition from one ownership group to another. And they, they knew there were going to be some hiccups throughout the day. But now I'm getting tweets that all kinds of streaming services are down, like YouTube TV and other radio company apps. So it may not be our fault. So things are going awry here at this point, and it will be efforted to be fixed as soon as possible. So news of the day, let's just do a quick recap and we'll spend some more time in the coming weeks. We'll get the champions on the show, but it was the finale triple header weekend for both of the road to Indy series this past weekend. USF 2000 came down to three drivers within range for the championship, two from Pabst racing, one from Cape motorsports. Miles Rowe had uh, a, a little bit of a cushion and a scenario where if he just finished up front in all three of the races, he was going to win the championship. But he, I think, had some misfortune in race one. In race two, he hit his teammate from behind at the start of the race and was penalized. And then in race three, from what I understand, he and his teammate were both hit in separate incidents. So they had really bad luck. Michael D, it was kind of a winner take all. In race three, it was still close, six or seven points between the three of them. And Michael D. Orlando from Cape Motorsports won the race to win the championship and move on to get the scholarship to move into Indy Pro 2000. Uh, I'll admit I'm a little biased in that front because that's the team that Jackson was with until he had a major crash and we ran out of budget to finish the season. But I'm going to allow Jackson to take some credit because he and Jagger Jones developed the cars in the offseason, they were new cars this season. Michael came on a little bit later and uh, and uh, within you know a weekend or so was immediately in testing uh, just as quick, if not quicker, and had the experience. And that's what mattered and was the difference for him this season. Jagger finished fourth as the top rookie. A really solid season for him this year. I think Miles finished second. Jace Denmark finished third, who also won a race Last weekend at Portland, Mac Clark, young young man from Canada who is leading the US USF Junior Championship, he won a race in his debut weekend. In Indy Pro 2000, Louis Foster was in pretty good shape in command. He won the first race to clinch the championship. And then Reese Gold won race two and three with Hunkos. Louis, by the way, drives for exclusive auto sport. They win their first driver championship. Reese finished second for Hunkos Hollinger in the championship and in Indy lights, Benjamin Peterson won his first Indy lights race after finishing second, five times Linus Lundquist didn't clinch the championship, uh, but he's clinched the championship. He just needs to show up to WeatherTech raceway Laguna Seca for a double header this weekend. I know we have some driver announcements coming up later this week. Uh, and there's one I think that is coming tomorrow that fans, not just road to Indy fans, 
will find significance. We'll look forward to that tomorrow and talk about it this weekend and next week as well. All right, hour number two coming up. We'll get into silly season and a a really interesting and I I hope impactful charity iRacing event that I'll tell you about before we're done that you can participate in. It's Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. It's hour number two. Thanks for joining us. Josh Molinix is our studio producer. Kevin Lee, you're welcome to join in at Kevin Lee 23 for any questions, comments, or otherwise that you might have tonight as we get set for the NTT IndyCar Series season finale coming up this weekend. A WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, 3 o'clock on NBC and on the radio as well with IndyCar Radio. Uh, 3.30-ish Eastern time is the green flag. So that's just afternoon as we're talking about local time. Uh, And we'll get into some silly season stuff, too, coming up in just a moment. But wanted to go through the Twitter inbox, and we'll go in reverse order from just a little bit. Uh, This one from CamSoupFL. I'm starting to feel disillusioned in the Pinsky Group owning and running the IndyCar Series. It seems everything is just the status quo. So I guess I would say this. Uh, you know, I think it's when the Penske organization took over, you know, we're all thinking, oh, they'll spend all kinds of money. You know, there's a reason why they're very successful. They make business decisions. They spend money where they believe it's going to make them money, and it's easy for us to spend their money but it's not as simple as just say, go spend money and markets. Well, we need better ideas. And I'll admit, I've not come up with the idea that I think has to be enacted. And if you just spend a little money to do that, then it's going to work. Simply saying spending money doesn't guarantee you anything. You have to spend money the right way. And no matter how much money their other companies make, you know, that's not how business works. You don't take money from one company and you can but you do that if you think it's going to get you a return. So you're trying to be smart. So what they've definitely done is they've just simply solidified thing and want solidified things. And one, they've made sure that the sport continued and the business continued during a pandemic where it could have easily uh, not been funded properly and shut down or run at a bare minimum and so on and so forth. So the series is in a better place and we see growth, but you know, we're not patients. This is racing. We're used to going fast. We want to see things go fast, but it can take some time uh, for that to happen. So I think they're still going to make smart strategic decisions and I'm not smart enough to know what those best decisions are, but I hear you. But I think it's probably also to say they weren't going to just be able to snap their fingers And things were going to be different in part because I'm not sure what you snap and wish to to be different. Uh, Other questions we have seen or comments. Here's one from Chad Smith at Chad 200 would have been a big point swing. Imagine if McLaughlin didn't get passed for the win at Texas and beat Dixon in the drag race in Nashville. But Newgarden lost 42 points in the Iowa crash. Dixon lost 75 points for the Indy 500 speeding penalty. Yeah, think about that. 70, 75 point difference. He's basically got the thing wrapped up if he wins the Indy 500. Also, Power versus DeFrancesco at Road America, too. That was one of the thoughts there. 
Uh, other Twitter questions and comments that have come in. Sandberg Boost points out what Helmut Marco said. And then Paul at PK Mod iMead says, why would Herta go to AlphaTauri? F1 might offer more money, but no chance of winning a race. Won't be able to have his father as a race engineer and 230 days on the road. Is he better off in IndyCar? So let's dissect that a little bit and we'll get into things. So if you've, and I'll try to remember all the semantics of this, but it does appear very real that Colton Herta may have an opportunity to race, to have a seat in Formula One next year with Alpha Tori. That's a pyramid over there in their silly season involving McLaren and the Red Bull organization. Alpha Tori is their junior team and more Let, let's see if we can remember what's going on there oscar piastri is the junior driver that alpine had the rights to planned on elevating him after fernando alonso surprised them and moved on next year uh then piastri signed with mclaren the contract review board or whatever it's called has said that that is a legit contract and Piastri is indeed property of McLaren. So now there's a seat open at Alpha Tori. Uh, I'm sorry, at Alpine. Alpha Tori is open to letting Pierre Gasly, their driver, move over to Alpine if they can secure Colton Herta because Americans are the in thing right now and the American market is huge. And everybody has an interest, not everybody, some have an interest in an American driver. I believe that Logan Sargent from Florida, who a year ago wasn't sure what his career was going to be, got a lot. He was at one point supposed to test with Foyt and then got a junior development deal through Williams and is winning, has won races. And I think last check was third in points in F2. A lot of smart people tell me he's going to be in a Williams car next because, one, they can't be a whole lot worse no matter who they choose. Two, he's talented. And three, he's an American. So they think that they can sell sponsorship around an American driver. And for three races a year, Williams will actually get talked about at these events, whereas they normally do not. So back to Colton Herta, he did test from people I trust that know what they're talking about. He did test very well, and he impressed in that year-old test with McLaren. And he apparently has an out in his Andretti contract for Formula One, not to go to another team, but for Formula One. So this is not going to be contested. Um, but he doesn't have a super license. And that's a point system, and there's been a lot of hand-wringing over that. And we've seen some excellent comments and points on social media. You know, for example... Linus Lundqvist, the soon-to-be Indy Lights champion, I think qualifies for a super license because he finished third in Indy Lights last year. That scores you a decent amount of points. He won the Formula Regional Americas, which is an FIA series, two years ago championship. And then even the year before that, I'm not sure what he was doing, but he, he could have scored some points there. So you could have seasons in junior formula cars for example it scores more points to win in formula regional americas which is about the same level as the series my son runs in 
USF 2000. And that's not a knock on them. I've just seen drivers that were over there on the podium and they come to USF 2000 and they're running in the teens. It, it takes a little while. Their top two or three drivers are really good. After that, I'm not sure that there's a fantastic amount of depth in that series. It's getting better. Um, but point being, that is a junior series, and it is valued more in the points system. Part of this is Formula One doesn't want to give IndyCar any credit. They're not interested. That's not their business. Two, and this is to their credit, and it's something that we should be thinking about over here and has been floated before, uh, it, it forces you to go through their ladder system. It's actually kind of smart. So you can't just come up running in a more economical series with scholarships in the road to Indy, get to IndyCar, do a year and impress and come on over and drive in our series. Actually, you could if you won championships on the way up. But part of the problem for Colton is there weren't enough drivers to qualify. The year he was in Indy Lights, there were seven drivers, and I think there needs to be nine or ten for him to get credit for finishing second in that championship. But this is something people have kicked around before that, hey, if you want to get to IndyCar, you should have to finish top three in the, in the Indy Lights championship. That would force people to run Indy Lights. Now, the argument against that would be, yeah, but there are some teams that depend on a funded driver from Europe coming over who might be pretty talented as well and bringing budget. And the young driver who finishes third in the Indy Lights Championship may not have the budget to do that. So you're limiting yourself and ultimately you're going to hurt your car count and you might put teams out of business. So that's, I think, one reason why the trigger has not been pulled. That's not an issue in Formula One. So to their credit, they're saying, nope, we value our championship ladder system that has no scholarships, but that's the value in it. If you want to be in Formula One, not only do we think you'll develop better over here, but you essentially must be over here unless you can finish top three in IndyCar championships. We put no value in finishing sixth or seventh, and we know how absurd that is that you score more points finishing second or third in F2 where the driver roster changes year after year, and in IndyCar you've got basically everyone that was very successful in junior formula. So uh, th that not the case. Um, Helmut Marco has said, the head of Red Bull, hey, if we can get the super license exemption or revise how they score points, Hurt is going to be there. Uh, so I tend to think that's going to happen. I know the head of Formula One said he doesn't believe that exceptions should be made but I, I still think there's going to be enough and, and people are going to see that it probably is in their best interest to have an American over there. Maybe not, because I really do believe that Formula One, their nightmare is someone from IndyCar who had not won a championship, especially, who is whatever he is this year, eighth, ninth, um, coming over and doing well. They don't want that. They, they want to... They want IndyCar to be considered a, a junior formula and something that we don't consider very much. Now, back to the question, why would he go over there when he's not going to win races at the same level? And, and that's very true. That program is going to have a very difficult time winning. Could win. Didn't get, did Gasly win there? Uh, he's won a race, and I think it was after he was demoted from Red Bull. So they have won before. But here's why Colton Hurt is going to do it if he's given the chance. And frankly, 
why any IndyCar driver of a certain age, Alexander Rossi's not doing it because he's done it. But the others that haven't been there, in most cases, given the option, even with a bad team, are going to do it because the feeling would be, especially for Herta, if it doesn't work out, he's going to be able to come back. But you're going to get one offer to do Formula One, and right or wrong, and I know it annoys some of our fans, and, and I get that, but kids that grow up road racing, in many cases, certainly if they've had any exposure in Europe or if they're not from America, you know, the pinnacle has been seen as Formula One. Just look at the salaries. If you can get to a second or a third contract, you're potentially making $10 million plus. So he's not going to win at that level. But what the idea would be is that you show well, you beat your teammate, you eventually move up to Red Bull, or you move on to another team and you do what you can. And if it doesn't work, you come back. And if you're Colton Herta, he could have a 10-year Formula One career and come back and do another 10 years in IndyCar. And he will, whenever it is, in two years, in 12 years, Herta will come back because he wants to win the Indy 500. And I'm sure he wants to win a championship as well. But that will be the draw that brings him back. So I don't blame him if that opportunity is indeed presented to him. Uh, and I think I read that there's some thought that there may be a resolution to this this weekend. So we might know this weekend if Herta is headed towards Formula One. So now, where does that sit things? So we already had the one big question. Well, two, who's going to drive the number seven car or whatever they numbered? Maybe it's the number six car. Rossi might be in the seven. But the third car for Aaron McLaren SP that's currently occupied by Felix Rosenquist. The candidates are Alex Pillow. And we saw this weekend, Jenna Fryer tweeted this, who spends a lot of time talking to Zach Brown of McLaren. So I'm going to guess that's where she got the information. Uh, she said that McLaren, after previously saying they would not help Polo in a buyout situation, it was essentially, good luck, young man. Let us know how it turns out. You told us you were free to sign. Now, apparently, they will help fund a buyout for Polo. So that tells me that they really need to get this done and they're willing to pay for it. One of the reasons could be because Felix Rosenquist is no longer the fallback plan. Might he be free fully to go somewhere else? I wouldn't think LinkedIn is normally a source of uh, news and information, but I looked at LinkedIn for the first time in a while last night, and I did a screenshot. So let me see if I can find that. But it was from our friend Craig Hampson, who is an engineer at Aero McLaren, uh, and posted... Basically saying, I'm, I'm still trying to find, but basically said, I have loved my season with Felix Rosenquist as his engineer. And this was from five days or so ago. And what I love is the fact that he's back to proving how good of a race car driver it is. Here it is. Can't tell you how much I've enjoyed my season working with Felix. He's a great person, good human being, smart and fast. I don't know whether he will still be with our team next year or not, but he will certainly still be driving an Indy car. I'm proud of all of us on the seven car have been able to pull together for a competitive year to get our man Fro firmly back into the competitive mix. Two races left, still trying our best to win one. So that's news there. And it's something that I've been hearing more and more is likely. Uh, so it's kind of sounded like, and I don't know if this is out of the goodness of their heart 
or if um, the contract wasn't an option picked up in time or whatever. But it's sounding like either Rosenquist is going to be in the seven or he's fair game and he's not going to Formula E, which has been his goal to begin with. And now this leads us to the other options. Felix Rosenquist may have gone from a few months ago not knowing if he was going to have a job or doing something that, yes, it's a pretty good job in Formula E, but he really didn't want to do, uh, to having multiple options. I have to think if he's needed at Aaron McLaren, he's going to be staying there. But could there be two teams now interested in him? If Alex Pillow is leaving the 10... Here are the options, I think. And I think the best one is probably Felix Rosenquist. I don't know how it ended with Chip Ganassi. I can't imagine that Chip was super happy. They thought he was going to stay. My recollection of this a couple of years ago was that the sponsorship was not fully sorted and there was not a 100% offer on the table for him to sign. And there was, probably with a raise, with Arrow McLaren SP or whatever the team was known at the time, and he left. And I think a lot of people would say, yeah, understandable, but I don't know how Chip Ganassi felt about that. There are some thoughts that he wasn't super pleased, but he may move past that. And I think there are some people within that organization that would say, yes, we need to bring Felix back. I think Scott Dixon would be one of those. If Alex Pillow is not returning. Uh, the manager of Scott Dixon, Stefan Johansson, is Felix Rosenquist's manager, so he can help mend those fences. So I'd keep an eye on that. Obviously, if uh, David Malukas could be available, he's an option. I think Malukas is staying at Dale Coyne Racing, but he's saying 95%. Until he says 100%, we're going to keep throwing David's name out there for possibilities. Maybe Ryan hunter Ray is a, a stopgap situation for next year. Maybe it's the Indy Lights champion, Linus Lundquist. And then the 26 car, we throw that in there as well. And some of the same names are going to apply there. If Colton Herta does indeed move on, Felix Rosenquist might be the best choice there. They really need a veteran driver. Yes, I think Linus Lundquist, who everyone believes is really good. Here's something to keep in mind with the Indy Lights group. Most people think Matthew Brabham is really talented. Um. And Linus Lundquist beat him this year. And it took till the end of the season before Brabham climbed his way up to second in the championship. So I think that's kind of a voucher for some of the top drivers this year in Indy Lights. And then here's a wild card for you, too, because I, I'm kind of coming up short for Andretti options. I think Lundquist would be an option and Malukas could be an option there as well. And Malukas a little bit higher because he's got a year of, an ex of experience but I would think they'd really prefer to have a veteran driver there. They're going to have Kyle Kirkwood in his second year, Devlin DeFrancesco in his second year, and Roman Grosjean in his second full year in IndyCar. And Roman admitted to me this week, I'm not a super chatty guy with the team. I come from a Formula One background where, yes, we do help our teammates a little bit, but you know, he was explaining to me it's kind of the opposite. So the team dynamic in Formula One is you are expected if the guy behind you, your teammate, is quicker, you get out of his way. That doesn't happen over here. 
but you really don't share any information. It's just, you can look at my data and you can do with it what you want in Formula One with the teammate. And it's up to the engineers to talk about things, but the drivers aren't talking amongst themselves in Formula One. Here in IndyCar, the drivers do somewhat talk amongst themselves as teammates. So he's still kind of adjusting to that. And he said, you know, also too, uh, I didn't want to come in here and tell people how to do things. So I kind of have done my own thing, but I may need to adjust that next year with young drivers. But point being, if you added a rookie like Lundquist into the mix, how does that fit? I have to think of Herta is gone. They need Felix Rosenquist. Help me. Who am I forgetting? They go back to Ryan Hunter Ray. He's the next best option. Would they try to get our buddy Hinch out of the broadcast booth? I think he's pretty happy there, but they could use a veteran in that program. And then here's the wild card. Would Daniel Ricardo be an option? He supposedly turned down McLaren, but maybe he just doesn't really want to be with McLaren anymore. And he's already collecting 15 million from them to do nothing. I don't think he's interested in coming to IndyCar, but I don't know. And there is a team that could probably pay him enough to make it worth his while with Gainbridge backing. If Dan Towers and the Gainbridge people want a name driver in that car and they've decided it's Daniel Ricardo, they can't pay him $15 million, but he's already getting $15 million. But they might be able to pay him four, which is a top salary in IndyCar. Um and, and maybe with the NTT data sponsorship, maybe the 10 car can do something like that, especially if they collect a couple of million dollars in a buyout from McLaren. So maybe that's, is it likely? No, but just wanted to put it on the table in, in case that's, that's a scenario. So those are kind of the big three. And then you've got other seats like, you know, we need to, we need confirmation from Jimmy Johnson. One, that Jimmy wants to do it. And then two, he's just like any other driver. He's got to find the backing. That is a seat that requires funding. So it's going to be up to Carvana, American Legion, and or other partners for Jimmy to return in a full-time basis. If Jimmy's not in that car, I'm not sure that car is going to be running next year unless there is something worked out with David Malukas and HMD to come over in a fourth car. Uh, the, the Foyt program, those are both open right now. The four-car I suppose that might be Dalton Kelly. It also might be up to Dalton and his family, what they want to do. They have budget. Do they want to continue an IndyCar? Would he consider sports cars? Does he want to try another team? I don't know. I haven't asked Dalton about that at this point, but that seat is still open. And the 14 seat is open. And I think Benjamin Peterson is going to move up from Indy Lights uh, in that program next year. And there is, I'm pretty certain, going to be a second car at Hunkos Hollinger next year. Ricardo told me, I got about seven candidates if that comes to fruition. Uh, so it, it's still in the development stage, but I feel optimistic that's going to be there. I have heard Ed Jones' name as someone that's interested in coming back, and I'm trying to place opportunities. you know. And so that's one that I might put him there with. If something shakes up a coin, maybe he could be back there. You know, I would think Lundquist could be a possibility there, probably an F2 driver I'm not familiar with, and some other candidates as well. You know, I guess I should mention coin. People have talked about, Dale has said, he told me I'd like to do a third car, but there's not a Honda lease available. The scenario for Dale to run a third car is if Ganassi drops to three, then a Honda becomes available. I guess if Andretti dropped to three, but I don't see that happening. Gainbridge is going to be on a car next year. 
I guess they could flip it over to Kirkwoods, but I think it was announced with it wasn't announced uh, with Napa, but I think it was announced with Auto Nation. But I guess there's a chance there. But I think Andretti's going to be four cars next year uh, in that point. But you know, and, and Sato hasn't. He he told me he thinks he's going to be back, but he's not 100 percent certain. So again, until we see that. There might be an opportunity there, but Lundquist obviously has the connection with that team, with HMD. That's the team he runs for, and Dale Coin Racing in Indy Lights, and I know they like him. Could he be in a third car there, or is it dependent on somebody leaving for him to be in a second car? So that's what I know at this point as far as silly season, and I've said before, too, it won't surprise me if there is another surprise that none of us see on the horizon coming up before Things are done. Um, Toby Rowland asked, what about Kyle Kirkwood? Is he an Andretti driver in 23? Yes, he is. That was announced way back in the spring. So he is taking the 27 car from Alexander Rossi. So that win is already set at this point. Uh, Okay, we'll get into some other things that we've missed on that front coming up in just a little bit. I know I've got a couple of other nuggets I want to delve into, and we're going to tell you about something that I think might be fun, where you can race with a pro driver, share the seat with them virtually in an iRacing event for charity coming up in just a moment. We'll get details next on Trackside. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Kevin Lee. Uh, Bear with me a moment. I'm going to explain why our next guest is joining us and why we're doing what we're doing. So when NBC picked up the sports car, the IMSA contract a few years ago, I got a chance to meet a lot of new people and learn much more about sports car racing. And one of the people I met is John Morley, who is a very successful sports car driver. And we'll get into his background as well. He came up with some of the IndyCar drivers that you would know in the Skip Barber series and so forth. And he drives in the Michelin Pilot Challenge, which is similar to Indy Lights. It's a step below the IMSA WeatherTech series in many ways. And it's really unique because it features drivers that might be 16, 17 years old on their way up to uh, a top prototype ride in WeatherTech. And it also features some quote, gentlemen drivers, people that have been successful in business and started driving race cars in their 40s or 50s, and then a lot of people in between, uh, drivers that are pro drivers that spent a lot of time coaching, you know, in the right circumstances, easily could have made it to the top of IndyCar or sports car racing and are still doing what they love, getting paid to drive race cars and coach at the same time. So John mentions to me, Hey, can you uh, mention one of the charities that I'm involved in on the broadcast this week? And he explains it to me, and it hit nerve because it's something that impacts my family as well, autoimmune diseases. And the uh, program, which you've heard me mention before, my son Jackson is now an ambassador, and I help when I can as well because, hey, I've got a little bit of a platform. I might as well do something with it. It's called Race for RP, and it stands for Relapsing Polychondritis, which is a a specific autoimmune disease. But in reality, research for one autoimmune disease is helping uh, learn things about any autoimmune disease. And it's something like one in five people are impacted. So John joins us now. And John, the Race for RP people came up with a really cool idea 
that we can uh, get some people together in iRacing and raise some money. Tell me about what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me on. And I'm always happy to talk about Race for RP and to do something beyond just raising awareness, which is what I typically do with the racing stuff. This is actually going to bring in some money that just goes straight to the RP Foundation so they can direct that directly into research for relapsing polychondritis. And like you said, that that helps all autoimmune disease research. So uh, the plan is they're going to run a charity race on iRacing. It's open to the public, so if anyone wants to enter this, they can. You can go to raceforrp.org, and there's a, a link to enter. It's 250 minimum to enter, and all the money goes to charity, and they actually have a longtime supporter that's going to match uh, three to one on the donations up to $500,000. So we're really trying to get some people involved with this. And you can kind of speak long-term of what race for RP has done through, through motorsport with, you know, it, I think it basically started with some gentlemen drivers that have been successful in life, that this became their cause and they have recruited other people that said, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to help like yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So like you were saying, I'm, I'm one of those guys who races professionally, but also coaches professionally. And uh, the, the guy who I've coached the last five years now, Neil Langberg, um, is the one who started this with his wife, Nancy Lynn, and she, is, she suffers from relapsing polychondritis. So it started with a bike ride. They just did a bike ride and did some laps around Laguna Seca. Um, and that was that was the race for RP, and that just raised a little bit of awareness, and then it just snowballed from there. And really, once you meet those two, you can't help but want to help out. And that's that is the reason you see it everywhere around sports car racing these days is people just just really uh, are fond of, of those two those two mm-hmm. in particular, and want to put their sticker on their cars. So o- almost all of it is just people wanting to help out and help raise awareness. So what's going to happen on Wednesday, September 14th at eight o'clock, this iRacing event, it's only a two hour event. So it's not like a 24 hour event. And I think a practice starts at around seven 30 or so. So there's a chance just for anybody like I could, could start a team, find a couple of friends could find one friend. It could be two or three drivers. It's two stops, two changes. So no advantage to only running two. If you have two, you're still going to have to make an extra stop and go back to the original driver. But you came up with the idea to, uh, Hey, let's find some other pros and see if they all kind of compete against each other and fans, sponsors, friends, whatever can bid to race with them. Yeah. I, I can't help myself. I always want to try and take things to the next level. So Uh, When I heard the race was going to be at Daytona, I'm like, hey, I know some Daytona class winners, some overall winners from the the Rolex 24. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and yeah, I I just thought, how cool would it be if we could get some of those people to commit and put them on a silent auction site, and then the general public could go bid to be teammates with these people that they've watched race on TV and and actually race as their teammate in this iRacing event. So that's the plan, currently gathering some names. We've got a couple uh, already gathered, but really going to try and narrow it down the next few days, get people up on this, this auction site, 
and then do a big push over the weekend to try and sell these spots, raise as much money as we can, uh, and, and really just build this race out so it's something exciting to be a part of and exciting for people to watch because it'll actually be broadcast on YouTube by Podium Esports. So for a start, people can go to race4rp.org and they can find the uh, link to sign up to compete and uh, through my social media. And there's also a race for RP social media. When we get the link going up with the pro drivers, I noticed there, there's some up there now and you're already sold, right? So I'm saying you're not available. I, you know, I, I have to use my co-driver Stim, so he sort of stipulated that I have to be on his team to do that. I'm, I'm actually flying from San Francisco to Vegas to do this on my co-driver Sim because uh, I don't have one myself. So, uh, yeah, I'm, okay. I am sold. But uh, uh, Rolex 24 class winner Kenton Cook is already on there and available. Jackson is on there and available, and we're, we're going to add some more soon. And I actually I do have the website for that. If, if people want to check it out, we will be adding more names. It's 32auctions.com. That's 32auctions.com slash RPE race. Okay, and I'll tweet that out later, too, that people can find at KevinLee23. And I know you have stuff on – Instagram is hard to put links on, though. I don't know how Instagram works as well. So yeah. we'll do it on Twitter uh, as well and get the race for RP people to do that. So we're working on some names. Um Oliver Askew has told me he will do it. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood is going to do it. There is a a very notable driver that is trying to figure out a way to do it. He's got some scheduling conflicts, and if that happens, that would be really big. Unfortunately, a lot of the IndyCar drivers right after Laguna Seca are just staying out west and going on vacation, so they won't be around their sim. I just sent some notices to the Indy Lights drivers today. We might have some of them on there. I sent some today to a few more of the young IndyCar drivers. You know, in reality, uh, like for example, I didn't ask Alexander Rossi. Those that have been paying attention, they know that Alex is not fond of sim racing. So I didn't bother asking him, but I think we'll have a few others there and can have some fun with it. And you can just simply pay 250 or more if there's a specific driver that you want for the donation or just get a team together you know get a couple of couple of people and split the 250 amongst yourself and as you said someone's going to triple it so so that's good and i would ask someone by jackson as well i'm going to make a 250 donation but maybe we can get that a little higher and that more than doubles that entry fee on that count as well. So this is a really exciting stuff. The Monday night racing league. I've, I've heard of them. They do some big events with other pro drivers. They're going to be organizing this as well on September 14th from eight until 10. You can donate and sign up at race John Morley who's won multiple races in the Michelin pilot challenge drives the number 61 road shagger car with Gavin Ernstone in Michelin pilot challenge uh, in Audi is our guest. Tell me about coming up. You, you raced against some guys uh, and came really close to winning championships uh, back in the day in Skip Barber. Exactly. Yeah. Back, back in the day, for sure. It's, it's kind of sad actually, because my, uh, <laughs> the guys I raced against are retiring right now. So I'm, I'm the guy in the Michelin pilot challenge who sees those 16 year olds in my mirror and says, not today, not, not yet, buddy. <laughs> Not ready to hang it up, but I, but yeah, I used to race against Ryan Hunter Ray. That was that was really the big one where I, I uh, raced in the Barber Dodge Pro Series with him and had some good wheel to wheel stuff with him. So it was a lot of fun watching his 
his career blossom, and, man, he earned it. I mean, he worked really hard to get where he was and, and went through a lot of teams before he found a nice nice home at Andretti. So I was happy to see that happen for sure. But raced against Roger Yasukawa, um, sports, sports was drivers Al- at this Was point. Almondinger a year or either a year before you or after you? So Almondinger owes his entire career to me because he, <laughs> he came into the Barber Dodge Pro Series. And he did a couple races the year that I was there as a rookie. Okay. And he followed he followed me around Mid Ohio. I, I taught him everything he knew. And then, <laughs> then the next year, the next year once I was gone, he won six out of the ten races, and uh, he's been in the stratosphere ever since. But that's another one that I just watched with great interest. I love love that guy, and it's been fun seeing how amazing he's doing recently. Actually. Yeah. And, and that's a reason why, hey, you never give up. He he retired. Exactly. He was working with me. He said, I'm done. <laughs> All right, I'll do a few races. He's, you know, two yep. years in a row, he's on the brink of an Xfinity championship. He's got a cup right if he wants it. He did, yeah, I'm fine. I want to play golf. I'll do eight races a year. That's good work. Exactly. <laughs> I, well, this I is fun. I bumped him to get involved with this uh, charity race as well. But he is, he's just so busy right now. It's just... I told him I knew it would get in the way of his golf schedule, but if he could spare the time, I'd appreciate it. But um, but he is he's just too too busy right now. And I think that's a Saturday race. Well, I don't I don't know what day the race, but I checked in with Parker Kligerman, uh, and he's running Bristol that weekend, and said Wednesday's our travel day, that I have to get there in, in time for a sponsored dinner that night. So I think that's how we lost out on some of the NASCAR people. But this is a good first run, and uh, I, I think they're going to raise some good money off of this for. A really good cause. So I hope people will. There's a chance I might drive. I, I'm our sim is down. Hey. So I need to take some laps. I haven't done an i racing lap in a year and a half. So I need to see how that goes. Because I'd hate to. Maybe, maybe I'll do a team so my son is not saddled with me. Maybe we'll get just a, a true amateur team, and, and that'll be my entry if I can get someone to buy a, a ride with Jackson, just like sports car racing, right? You find someone to yeah. fund your ride and you get the drive. Exactly. Yep. We like it. Race for RP is the uh, benefactor race for RP.org. John Morley from Michelin pilot challenge. Uh, hope we see you at road Atlanta coming up in a few weeks. If not, we'll see you fresh uh, for next year as well. Thank you, John. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, and I uh, hope, uh, hope everyone can check it out. And, again, it's open to anyone, so uh, any iRacers out there, feel free to join on up. Yep, and no um, no licensing requirements. It could be all pro. It can be all am. There's no drive time minimums, whatever the case may be. So for anybody that has uh, connections with Road to Indy kids, you know, get three Road to Indy kids together, and they can just mop up the field. Oh, you know, I, oh, I'm man. glad. So, so there are real prizes out of this. So uh, I've come up with uh, some connections. There uh, is going to be a two-seater. I don't have the whole list in front of me, but I know there's a, a two-seater ride available for the winner at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We'll get them in a suite any day other than the Indy 500. That, that one's a little bit too pricey, but any day other than the Indy 500, they can come up and get into a suite for the day, and I think there are some other prizes involved as well. So good stuff involved with that, and qualifying order is determined by the donation amount. So you can buy your way to the front, so all for that as well. All right. John, thank you so much. Thank you. 
All right, we'll talk to you soon. Stay with us. We'll see what we missed and more coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Lots of racing this weekend, along with the NTT IndyCar Series Championship, Formula One races again, uh, NASCAR is at Kansas, uh, plenty of good stuff, and here in Indianapolis at the Indianapolis Speedrome, the World Figure 8 Championship, three-hour endurance races Saturday night, practice and racing Thursday and Friday night with a three-hour headline, World Figure 8 Championship, three-hour endurance race Saturday night. Ticket info is at Speedrome. Com. So at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca for the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey, practice starts very late Friday afternoon, our time. So that's 5.30 Eastern, the hour and 15-minute practice. Hopefully video boards don't come down, and it is an hour and 15-minute broadcast rather than three hours. Uh, yeah, we're used to rain delay, not usually used to scoreboard repair delay. So 5.30 Eastern on Friday and then on Saturday, you've got a, another session in the morning, qualifying. Let's see, qualifying is going to be at 5.05 Eastern. And then the warm-up this time is not until Sunday, 9 local, noon Eastern. A pair of Indy Lights races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday on Peacock, and the race itself, 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Eastern time on NBC here on the radio, 3.30 is the green flag. We'll be back next Tuesday night for Kurt Cabin. And Josh Mullenix, I'm Kevin Lee. Thanks for joining us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.